Well, welcome back once again to Talking With Tech. This is Luke Stuber, joined as always by Chris Begay. How are you, sir? Oh, today I am fantastic, Lucas. You wanna know why? Why? Because it's summer break and I had to play, I had to, I, we were playing Ticket to Ride with my kids and dad won. Dad crushed it, killed them. Sorry, kids, you lose, I win. Ticket to Ride. <laughs> Ticket to Ride, I mean, that, that can be a pretty advanced game. So uh, good job, you, you learned the rules. How yeah. was, um, now, now you just came back from ISTE, right? I did, I did. I just got back at like midnight last night, so I'm still a little bit punch drunk, you know? So even more rewarding for winning that game because dad is a little loopy. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And then we have West Coast, Rachel. How are you? I'm doing good here on the West Coast. Um, you guys have to fill me in. I have no idea what game you're talking about. Oh, I'm so out of oh. it. Oh, well, Ticket to Ride is a board game that you uh, make the longest train possible or you make connections between cities and you have these cards and it's really accessible to uh, different ages because, um, you know, you have these little tokens, these little train tokens. So wait, we should introduce uh, Midwest Rachel because it looks like she was giving a thumbs up. She plays Ticket to Ride too, right? So, okay. I do. Uh, This is Rachel Langley. I'm in Michigan right now, not to be confused with West Coast Rachel, but we love ticket to ride i have three kiddos and even my youngest for a couple years has played along we kind of consider her our natural built-in handicap the first couple years she played because she doesn't have kind of the strategy other people are like okay i'm trying to get from here to here and you might want to try to block somebody she's just like i like the pink ones and i like <laughs> so then you have to work around her to make your route complete and but it's pretty fun i agree that all ages can play they'll just play with a different level of strategy <laughs> I love that all the comments are that all ages can play. And my comment was that game is hard. (laughs) I'm not sure what that says about me, but I think it's hard. So, well, Rachel, we're, we're so, excuse me, Rachel Lang, we were, we're so pleased to be joined by you today. I mean, um, you're somebody that I always sort of seeing online and, um, you know, we tend to interact with a lot of the same people and I always love to see, um, everything that you create. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, and thanks for having me. I'm a speech-language pathologist in Michigan. I graduated uh, with my master's in 2002 from Michigan State and stayed in the area. I work in Eaton County, which is near uh, Michigan State, near the capital, Lansing in Michigan, but it's pretty rural. We have a couple of schools we'd consider pretty suburban, but we also have some pretty out-there districts that takes me on the road a lot, a lot of travel, not heavily populated, but enough room to drive and spread out and stuff like that. So in the past, for the first 10 or 12 years, I worked as in a more traditional speech language pathologist role and tended over time, got shifted more and more. So started with a lot of early childhood kiddos and ended with a lot of students in categorical programs, which here in Michigan, we often call cognitively impaired or they fall under either mild or moderate cognitive impairment. And a lot of those students have complex communication needs. So I kind of fell into a role of trying to figure out um, other tools to help them communicate between things that were already happening in the classroom and things we could implement additionally. And if you know anything about that traditional speech pathology role in the schools, um, there just isn't a lot of time allocated to come up with um, a lot of strategies and a lot of tools and things like that. And so when our county created a role for an AAC specialist about five years ago, I fell into that role and um, happily took on that seat of saying, okay, now I can go back to my colleagues that I worked alongside and support them with more intentional supports for AAC. 
Marconi has an assistive technology consultant, and then um, we try to help folks understand how our roles sometimes overlap, but sometimes are very distinct, and that if there's a communication need, that's where I'm called in to come alongside and support the team. So I've done that for about the past five years, and um, when I first started, it definitely, I've worked with kids with complex needs a lot, but I I'd only knew those kids and those po- the classrooms and populations that I knew. A lot of students on the autism spectrum, too, but... Uh, it it was a shift to go into that that countywide. Now I'm traveling everywhere to all the programs and all the ages. And so I admit that first year it definitely felt like I was flying the plane while it was still being built because I knew I had a lot to learn, um, but I knew I needed to be a resource to my colleagues out there. So that's how I kind of came into this role and really turned to social media and online to learn as much as I could from a lot of people smarter than me to find the resources and where I needed to go. So, Yeah. Hey, Rachel. So I would have to say that that is kind of a similar role that I play in my school district is that I'm, I, we don't have necessarily at this point a specific AAC specialist that goes in and coaches, but it's, we have an AT team that still wears both hats, you know? Um, but I think that the way you describe it is very similar to, I think many people maybe that are listening that work as kind of a coach to the people who are doing the actual implementation. So, uh, is that, is that like your job title? Do you call it coach or do you think of yourself as coach or what does that mean to you? Well, I feel like I'm kind of stuck between two roles where we are not a big County. We're pretty rural. And so a lot of our districts that are pretty small, um, kind of want and expect that expert model. Like they want to dial the phone and have the expert come out, tell them what to do and tell them provide the equipment and set things up. Whereas we know that even as one person in that role across the one County, you can burn out real quick in that expert model. And so from day one, I'm thankful I had other people on the team to shape that vision to say, we got to teach them to fish. You know, we can't keep doing this. The expert model isn't sustainable. And so we've really had that sustainability in mind, even in our relatively small rural-ish area, suburban area, where we've tried to identify folks who work with, you know, most intense communication needs and bring the training to them and say, I can come and show you, but I want to show you with that sustainability in mind. So you can't wait for me to drive 80 miles out to you again to come and program something. I'm going to teach you how to program this. And then you have that ability locally. So I have that vision in mind. And I know that's our goal to build to that coaching model. But I also recognize we are relatively small. I mean, I have a lot of people who would do what I do even in the state and they're in such densely populated areas where they can't be pulled into that expert model. But I I still kind of have that expectation put on me. We're not a giant area. And there are only a handful of people that even know what a Toby is in my county, right? So that's always the vision. And but I, I, I don't really call myself a coach. That's, that's how I approach it as I come in. But I'm straddling both of those, those roles, if that makes sense. I I had a similar experience. I was an AAC specialist um, in very rural parts of Oregon and Washington and had a similar deal where it's like, well, it's, it's a 30 minute or hour drive to get to this district. And they've got, you know, maybe an elementary, a middle or two, maybe two elementaries, a middle one, a high school. Right. And, you know, they've got six kids that are on devices and it's like, I'm not going to see you again for three months, you know? So how am I, how, how do I best allocate my time? But then part of it too was, I mean, really it comes down to this, like almost teaching the teacher piece, right? Like, or coaching the coach. I don't, I don't know how to put that, but, um, you know, teaching people how to find resources on their own as well. I, I guess one of the questions I have is, you know, seeing you so much on, on social media, like where, where do you look 
Like what, where should people be looking, I guess, for good resources? Well, again, in that first year of doing it, I really felt like I needed ideas to pass along that were practical and easy to apply. And so I really appreciated Practically AC and Carol Zangieri's work to put together a real clearinghouse of other resources. Um, and so I feel like that was a real place to start where if you've ever been to that website, you know, you can fall down some rabbit holes and, oh, I want to look at assessment. I want to look at the work, uh, you know, Vicki Clark's work and next thing you know, you spent an hour and you didn't go look for what you're looking for. But um, that was definitely a kind of a starting point for me to understand um, what other resources are out there. Um, I feel like after that first year, which was just a lot, it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot of, I won't say chaos, but establishing what the role was, you know, and really going from um, an almost zero knowledge base in our county of what AAC means and what that is and what it, that it's not a special sometimes thing that we do, but this is a, a need and an obligation for us to provide to our students um, and trying to get that culture shift going. Um, after that, I realized, okay, I, I need to be a little more focused and look for strong research-based um, you know, I didn't want to just be sharing anything, both with my um, teachers and speech paths that I work with, but also I created a Facebook page and was just sharing things as I found them and thought, okay, you can't just share anything that you find. You've got to, you got to know what it is. And so putting a filter on that and really looking for where is it from and, and what's the research base on that, I feel like has been helpful. Um, perhaps uh, narrowed <laughs> some of my, my, my resources and my views in a way, but also I think just reflect find it too and made it um and better we really like um project core and the work out of unc chapel hills uh, center for literacy and disability studies um there's been a lot of that here in the state of michigan they've really taken that and there, there's such a, a history here already where some of that has been put into place for a long time but really just to know the quality and the research behind the work and the resources we share. So, Rachel, that reminds me of that famous quote by Abraham Lincoln. Don't believe everything you've read on the internet. Remember that quote? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or here on a podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, you just bring up a really good point that um, there's a lot of information out there. It doesn't mean because it's information that it's good information. So you really have to verify your source and you have to be a good uh, digital citizen and make sure before you go off and share it or believe it that you find the research behind it you know and that's a good good lesson for us adults and it's even better for the next generation coming up so what do you, I mean, one thing that, because we, we actually, we spoke to Carol Zingari uh, recently too. In fact, by the time you're listening to this, people, it should be um, up if you want to listen to that. And one thing that she uh, came back to a number of times was was encouraging SLPs just to put themselves out there um, more, you know, and that's something that you've you've certainly done. Um, it, you know, it, for, for the folks out there listening, like, I, I, do you have any words of advice in that regard? Like, where would they start? Start somewhere. And that was kind of how I felt where I didn't have somebody in my county or even in a neighboring county who had done an AAC specialist role. Um, there were pockets of Michigan that had really been focused on it for a while, but it wasn't in my area. I had taken an AAC elective in grad school and it was taught by a phenomenally brilliant man whose focus was on the, the computer and technologies that were, you know, 
emerging in the eighties, you know, not versus the language and the software that we are a lot focused on now, you know, with, now that tablet technology and things are here and the technology is more accessible. Now we're back to talking and focusing more on the language and the programming. And so I had to start somewhere and, um, I really tried to connect with people that, um, I heard at trainings, I would go, you know, I went to closing the gap and I went to ATIA and I sought out kind of conversations. I really tried not to be a creepy stalker but you know going up after the talk and saying hey this is what I do and this is where I am and really it came from the first year and I have to credit my my AT colleague Robin Pegg for having the vision to say you know this is your first year in this role but I think there's a real need in Michigan to have an AAC conference and I was like oh would that be for me to attend because I'm new here (laughs) and she's like that's cute but we need again in that that building capacity model we need to be able to um offer a source of information that we can draw our people to instead of going out over and over and saying the same thing. And so we created what has now become Talking AAC and talk about putting yourself out there. Um, we, that's, that's way outside my comfort zone. Um, Robin and I in a partnership of AT and AAC work together closely we're kind of yin and yang because she's like, let's do it. And I'm the cautious, like, but what if something goes wrong? And so in that collaboration, we've really fostered some, some great stuff. And the Talking AC conference is in its fifth year. And that's how we got there. (laughs) Talk about stepping out. Um, We love for people to come, but we can also say, if you see that similar need in your area of, gosh, you know, over here in this pocket of our country, it's hard for my people to travel to Closing the Gap and to travel to ATIA or to travel to AAC in the desert or one of those more regional, then you know what? Find a collaborative team that shares your vision and has the same goals for quality practice and um, that capacity building model and just start. You know, it might not be perfect as some speech people often want it to be when you start, but you start and you build it and you refine it and, and good things can happen. So what an awesome message. I just love what you just said so much that, you know, if you can't make it to those big conferences, if you can't do it, it's, it's on you then to make it work for your area. You know, you, you owned it, you know? Um, so tell us, I'm really interested in more about this conference now. How did you build it and what does it look like? Is it a day long conference? Do people come to sessions? Uh, how do you split it up? Like, what is that professional? development look like? Yeah. Well, the first two years, we were able to host it at our local educational agency, which has some conference space. And... I think the first year it was one year and the, or one day and the second year it was two days. And there were breakout sessions throughout the day with three or four strands, even from the get go. Uh, and we really tried to find a balance of some kind of introductory topics, some topics for people that had some information already about AAC and needed to advance and refine their understanding and their practice, made sure there were topics on some assessment or um, positioning and just trying to find kind of a nice mixture of topics. Um, But really that first year it was uh, relying a lot on our friends and folks we knew here in Michigan who had been doing this already. Again, there's a very well-established team out of Oakland County, Michigan, that's been doing a core vocabulary and universal core project for years, decades. And so from there, again, it was going to conferences and saying, hey, Lauren Enders and Kata Hearn and kind of introducing yourself and developing relationships with folks that you've said, okay, I've, I've seen you present or I've heard you talk. Um, could you bring this topic and come and join us and kind of snowballing from there. 
center. So the past two years, we've had to host it offsite at Michigan State University. We have a beautiful facility at the Kellogg um, um, Hotel and Conference Center on the campus of MSU. And um, it's it's stretched. So it's two days of topics with a pre-conference day. So you can have one topic all day long. There's usually three topics to pick from. Last year, we had Dr. Kieran Erickson as one of our pre-conference um, sessions. We had Kate Hearn as one of our pre-conference sessions. And then we had Meredith Hankins, who is from um, what used to be UCP in Alabama and Birmingham. And now it's called United Ability. But she, they're a really um, lamp intensive program down there. Um, and so, again, we're trying to find a variety. And that, that was what we had last year for pre-con. And we were honored to have two amazing keynote speakers last year. We had Karen Owens from We Speak Pod came and presented one of our keynote presentations. And again, just we want those keynotes to really bring the why. We can have a lot of the technical talks throughout the day about what is core and how do you implement it and um, what, how do we get AAC embedded throughout the day. But we really tried to start the conference with um, the why message in the keynotes. So Karen Owens was our first day keynote. And then Erin Polk from the Page Creeds world. She actually has a background as a BCBA and a parent of a child with ASD and some very complex medical needs. Um, sadly, Creed has passed away. About two years ago, he passed away. But he had such um, pain and things he couldn't explain that manifested as a lot of behavior. And people would tell her very, you know, he can't, he can't do this, you know, give him one button or give him a couple pictures, but he can't do this. He'll break it. Or, and so she brought a powerful message too of saying, there is no such thing as too behavioral, you know, oh, he's too aggressive. Don't give me a C. That's exactly why he needs it. He needs to be able to tell us about the nature and severity of his pain and how we can help him. And she shares videos. And if you look her up online, she has hundreds of videos that she recorded um, through her time of working with him and giving him access to, to a vocabulary. So that was our conference last year. We're already rolling. It seems like we barely kind of take a breath and roll into next year. This fall, we have another amazing lineup. Dr. David Copenhaver is coming. Uh, Dr. Erickson's kind of partner in the literacy um, collaboration there to do another pre-conference. Uh, John Halloran's doing a pre-conference for us this year. And Kelly Key and DJ Dabbles are doing a a pre-con for us this year. So we're really excited. It's, it's been, I mean, we try to build things that we want to see, right? You invite people you want to hear from. So you're giving me a list of people for the, I think we have, we have about half of them on the podcast already. We gotta get, we gotta get the rest. Yeah. The, the other half is on the list to get. Exactly. <laughs> for Wait, sure. I have another, I have another quick question about this conference because I'm interested in it and I like how you're kind of inspiring other people to make one themselves. Um, do the attendees, oh, first of all, what day of the weeks are ours? Is it like a Friday and a Saturday or a Thursday, Friday? Are you expecting people to take a day off work or get professional leave? That, that's question number one. And question number two is where does the funding come from? Do, you, do people pay to come there or do you, you know, beg, borrow and steal from, do you get grants? Like how, how do you pay these people to come in? Yeah, or okay. Well, it started Friday and has backed up through the week and then it was Thursday, Friday, and now the pre-con is on Wednesday. So it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, we, 
we're, we're a nonprofit. We in the past had partnered with one of our AT groups here in the state of Michigan to help um, just kind of run registration and put it on. But now my Eaton Risa is who I work for and we have, we fully run it, run registration. It's not for profit. So we keep costs pretty low that we're just trying to cover our expenses since moving to the Kellogg Center. Obviously that's more than holding it in house. So we, we do charge um, for registration. However, um, it's relatively low. I mean, I think right now this year, it's $100 for pre-conference and $125 for the other two days. So, I mean... That's really low. Yeah. I mean, we're not trying to make money, you know, we're just trying to cover our costs. So um, we don't have any grants. Um, and to be quite honest, a lot of the work comes after hours that it's myself and a couple other people that are, we are the, the whole committee and we have a nine to five job, you know, or eight to four or whatever. We have a job where we're running all day trying to support teams and kids. And so there might be little pockets of time where we get to talk about it, but the majority of this and making promotional stuff and all that just happens in spare time because it's something we really believe in. And I think there's been a benefit. So. Yeah. It sounds like a podcast. I know. (laughs) 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 You know, you have a passion for it. So you find the time and you do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So bringing two things together that you said, you you, you know, you made the comment about um, how you want the keynote speakers to bring the why. And then when we were talking at the very beginning, also you were talking about um, sort of bringing an AAC culture into schools, right? So I'm thinking about listeners that might be, you know, thinking about the the concept of like planning an in-service, right? Or or trying to to do that inspirational piece. Like, how do we do that in an hour, right? Is that what we do on the pod? How do we bring the why and the practical? Well, I think part of your podcast is that you're, it's an ongoing conversation, right? Week to week. I don't know that you can do it in one hour, but you're, you're threading a lot of that through, through your conversations. I think always trying to uh, have the users, our end users and our, 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 um, our students or I don't know how you want to say it, those individuals with complex communication needs in mind. Um, I think the, one of the things that startled me the most, I guess, shifting, fr- shifting from a traditional speech role to a consultant mode, um, is that I went to a lot more meetings where there were a lot more people around the table, but oftentimes parents were pretty, I don't want to say combative, but it was a lot more on alert, you know? And I just realized I'm not taking this personally. These are parents who feel that much more um, stress about advocating for their child who does not yet have independent communication. Um, I've sent off my own kids to school and I have, I have a child um, with some special needs who doesn't always come home and tell me everything that happens at school. And I have to find out other ways and that can cause a different kind of stress in your life. So I, you know, understanding that that's not something personal, but it's something we can come alongside and say, I get that this is stressful. Let's work on this together and make it collaborative. I don't know. I think it's, it's a lot of conversations. I definitely don't think I have it figured out yet. Can we make just that clear? That yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying. I'm just, I, I'm just uh, an SLP trying to uh, bring forth the good message of AAC to the people. So, Rachel, I have a question to put a hat on both hats of the both of the conference person, kind of someone who's putting conference together, and your specialist role. Um, yeah. Do you find the people that you work with the most, and the people that attend the conference the most, are speech therapists? Or are they, is it starting to change where you're working more with classroom teachers, occupational therapists? I mean, is your 
Is your clientele changing? I think it has really shifted over the past few years of having um, the conference where it was pretty speech focused in the beginning. And now we're getting a lot more teams where people are like, maybe the speech person came the first year and then they brought back their teacher and now they're bringing their teacher, their ASD consultant and their OT, you know, and so it's groups of people, which I think is powerful because we run four concurrent strands. So, and I really, we build a great schedule, I have to say, because there's times I think, I don't know what I would go to at the 10 o'clock slot, you know? So if you can have a team of people and you're all hearing different things and can come back together, it's that much more you can take away and bring back to your district and to your classroom and to your kids. So it really has been a mix in these past couple of years. And do you, do you see that too in your role as the specialist? Yeah, I mean, I would say... Mostly, I'm working with teachers and SLPs, but I do have a lot of, I mean, there's a, one of my districts I work in where two of the OTs have brought quite a few referrals to me. And some of that is recognizing similarities in other students that we have shared in the past. Um, and yet someone from this other team hasn't yet brought it up to say, well, what about AAC? And so the OT goes, hey, if they need it, this kid certainly needs to come along and let's do a consultation and start talking about this student. So I do. I think um, there's even more of a mix at the conference right now, but I, I do see that broadening out in the consultant work too. Rachel, I have a question for you. Um, first of all, I just love that there's another Rachel, Rachel on the podcast. <laughs> but you've been talking a lot about your role and I just think your insight is really, really wonderful. And I'm wondering what you find the biggest roadblock is, you know, because you're doing a lot of, you know, consulting and trying to, to empower teams um, and, you know, teach them a lot of information. What's the biggest roadblock that you're finding in that, in that role? Oh, I think... The hardest thing is um, when you put a lot of time and effort into training and you come back for a revisit and yeah, nothing has, nothing has happened to know that you thought, you know, I try not to have empty conversations. I try to make, I hope that they're back and forth and that I'm, I'm being responsive, but then to, to then feel like you're starting over again and say, okay, well, I see that didn't really work. So what else can I do to better support, you know, do we have to break it down even a little more? And, you know, um, I get that it's just, AAC can be so intimidating to some of our classroom staff. Um, it looks, it looks different. To, and it just seems like more work. And so that's still the number one. I can have all the tips and tricks and small little lists or whatever, but for some folks, it's, it's just hard to break through that. How do we get started? Yeah. And I find the same thing. It's like, it's, it's kind of just so disheartening, right? We have all this information. We're just really excited. And then, you know, we come back and it's not, it's not being implemented. And, you know, it's, I think that's the biggest roadblock. Um, one thing that I find really helpful is just trying to really listen to a teacher or an SLP um, and try to figure out, you know, how can I help this classroom function better? How can I help you know, in a general sense, because I think a lot of times these, these teachers are so busy and it's like, we come in and they're like, not one more thing. Like I can't do one more thing. And so how can we, how can we empower them and inspire them to do one more thing? You know, cause eventually one more thing leads to a lot more things. Um, but I think that just getting that buy-in is so, it's such a challenge sometimes in the beginning. Um, and I think one of the ways to, to do that is just to have a real conversation and kind of, I feel like that's a theme through this podcast that I've heard from you is, you know, when you wanted to get some, some, some speakers for the conference, you, you started a conversation when you wanted to just learn more about AAC in general, you started a conversation after a presentation. Um, and I think it's just, it's so important to have those conversations. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've started to walk away from certain classrooms sometimes and think, well, I think that went well, but I need to check back. Maybe I can't wait two weeks to circle back around here. Maybe I need, um, need more, just more frequency, but that can be, that's just the biggest roadblock is, is getting that traction to get going. And I know one of those things that can help is spending more time there in modeling where Mm -hmm. I try to kind of share that role. I am, I don't carry a direct caseload. So there is a local, I always say you have your local communication expert and that's your SLP. I'm here to, to coach you all and support you and bring you pieces you don't have and help you understand. Um, but I really try to keep teachers from going around their SLP to, to me to say, no, you're all here. Let me do it with you. We can coach together. We can, I can model with you. But just finding those ways to get around that, that hurdle of this is hard, you know. And I think that's why really why I'm sharing ideas and why I, I turn to social media to look for other people's ideas. Because I think a lot of the, the difficulties we share kind of boil down to that. And one thing I love about all of the things that you create is that it's really easy and it's super visual. We've talked about this before. I just love a powerful visual and you have such great visuals on your site. I just love, there's one that I always share when I present. Um, it's a, um, uh, the, the wallpaper for the iPad. It says something like this community, this is a communication device. What a genius idea. We'll have to, we'll add that to the, the Facebook group so everyone can see what I'm talking about. Um, but I just like, that's so, so powerful, so simple, but so powerful. Thank you. I tried to find ideas that are like the work smarter, not harder, yes. um, where I, I don't ever want someone to say, well, I didn't know how to get in touch with you. You know what? I don't think I put it on the public one, but I just put my number, my email, my name right on that screensaver. So if you see that, you have a way to get in touch with me. If you have a question, it's not working right. But yeah, it says um, this iPad is used for communication. Please open the communication app and put it in guided access because that alone will solve about half of our problems, right? If um, next time I come, it doesn't have 800 selfies of the student because it was out of guided access or, you know, I mean... Just a reminder, another way to just give a gentle reminder. They'll, they'll use the icon editor to take the selfies in the app, depending on, depending yeah. on the student. <laughs> yeah, they find ways. What are some other visuals that you've shared that, that uh, you think people have resonated with? You know, one of the first ones that I made because I did pod training early too, about a month after I took the consultant role, we had a pod training here in Michigan with Linda Burkhart. And then the next summer we had Gail Porter come. And so I was like, whoa, that was some of the most early intense training that I got since being in this role. Um, and one, if you don't, not familiar with pod, pod is very much a language immersion to say, we cannot expect our students to see a device used for 20 minutes, three times a week or twice a week and think that they're just gonna run with it in order to have true fluency and understanding of that device they have to be immersed in it all day. And so I shared a statistic from the quiet listserv, uh, Jane Horkston. Yes. That's yeah. exactly Cause I share that in my presentations. Yeah. I'm like, yes, that's exactly yeah. what it is. <laughs> and it reminds us that those typically developing kids, we give easily 18 months of, we talk to them without expecting them to be fluent back with us. Um, we don't stop after six months and go, well, they're not going to talk. We know it's going to come. They need time to build those connections and motor skill, the the language skill. Um, And so that's the graphic. It's actually a picture of my middle child who's now 10 as a baby. She's probably nine months old in the picture, but it says, you know, if we give them time, um, if we only 
model for AAC users that 20 minutes twice a week, it will take eight, 80 years or whatever it says to I, I can read it. I have it right in front of me. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is a famous visual. This is a big deal. It really is. By 18 months, babies have heard 4,380 4, hours of spoken language, and we don't expect them to be fluent speakers yet. If AAC learners only see symbols modeled for communication twice weekly for 20 to 30 minutes, it will take 84 years for them to have the same exposure to aided language as an 18th month old has to spoken language. So powerful. And you know, what I, as a, as a SLP, what I um, felt in that when I saw that was kind of that urgency to remind us we need to be doing this more. What I did not expect was um, people like Dana Nieder chimed in and said, when I first saw that graphic, it knocked the wind out of me and it mm-hmm. kind of broke me because I realized, you know, it was just a heavier burden. I think we, I didn't intend to put that on families, but just knowing the enormity of that and how truly, if I'm a parent, I'm sending my child off, you know, six, seven hours a day to a school where I don't have control over their time and they're modeling and how much they're, they're being, you know, um, supported. And so that was, that was Dana's take on it. And that, that was kind of an unintended, but I really thought it would just add some of that urgency of remember it's not just the SLP. Um, it's the same piece that really I, I like about project core, um, it wasn't designed for SLPs. They have a core 36 universal board. It's designed for teachers to say, if you have a classroom of, um, Karen Erickson said this, I just saw her again in March. And she said, if you have a, a classroom of kids with complex needs and only some of them are supported and you can't find the means to, you know what, here, start with these 36. It's supposed to be simple enough that you can just go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. That's, that's that thread that I like where it can't all hinge on SLPs. We need, obviously I'm a speech path and you guys are speech paths and you know that, um, I have great respect for the work that we do, but we also need to not only it, it, the responsibility doesn't stop with us. Right. Yeah. We're all in this together. It's not yeah. just on one profession's shoulder. It's that interprofessional piece and bringing in the families. Yep. I, yep. I'm sorry. I'm st- my, my wind is knocked out. <laughs> but it's, you know what, the, for me, that quote, it, it does, it, it, it hits me, but it's, it's it, inspirational for me. Right. And, and part of it is because when I'm sitting there now, like doing modeling, right. Of these things, like it's, I, I, I always criticize myself afterwards. Right. Like I think like, Oh, I should have done this some other way or I should have gotten more repetitions in or whatever. But then I think about the way that I, I talk around children, like typically developing children. I realize I'm saying all kinds of dumb stuff all the time and I'm not providing like perfect input constantly. And, uh, you know, of course, like, so every little bit is meaningful. Like, even if, I mean, it just, it just goes back to the, just put yourself out there, just start doing that, just model. I was just going to say, Lucas, you bring up a really great point because I think that a lot of the caregivers and professionals that I work with, they just feel like they're doing it wrong or they're going to do it wrong. Um, you know, and then that shuts it down, right? It shuts it down before it even starts. And I just really try to impress that, you know, aside from a, a couple things that I probably wouldn't do, you know, just do it, just like kind of forge through and model and just give those exposures to language because that's, that's how children are going to learn how to use it. For sure. I mean, that's, I think the bulk of, I, I am clearly a visual person and perhaps that was why I'm drawn more to AAC, but in creating 
visuals, I'm trying to make a uh, big concept simple. You know, I'm just trying to make it less intimidating. Um, we can get into a lot of what does modeling mean to you versus what does modeling mean to you? You know, my behaviorist wants me to say it and then you to say it, that's modeling to them. And we can have a lot of those conversations. Um, and sometimes I think we as speech language pathologists can get very technical about some of our terms, especially in this field. But at the heart of it, we need to have a, something simple we can point to. Um, and that's what I, I try to make with graphics that I think makes sense to me. And sometimes I have a small group of people around the country I'll shoot one off to and say, does this make sense to you or is it just me? Because this makes sense to me, but I'm thinking of it this way. And because I'm not sure, but, um, but that's my goal is to make a, a big concept simple so that maybe it can be a launching point for that conversation. Well, this is what modeling means, but my sign is just going to say model, model, model all day long or whatever, you know. You know, Rachel, another little subtext that I think we want to, I want to bring forward so that everyone listening uh, has this in their, in their back of their heads and maybe now in the front of their heads is the idea that you then share it, like you created it and then you share and you lead with sharing, lead with the idea that this, what I just created isn't just for me, but because we're not just uh, here in Michigan and in the schools I serve working together, but I got to put this out to the rest of the world so that uh, then, then it'll come back to me when someone else creates something and we just have this massive circle. Is that, is that how it works for you that you just think, well, I got to share? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to keep, there is no private knowledge, you know, I mean, I'm really, that's, goes, that makes me, puts me in the expert hole again, right? Well, go ask Rachel. She might have a graphic she can tell you about. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll share a graphic, but I hope you understand the background behind it and that you can explain it to your people because um, it's all about building capacity. And if it can positively move forward our field of AAC, which can be such this little niche field and make it more understandable and more approachable, hopefully we can get around that barrier of, I'm not doing that. I can't do that. You know, oh, no, we're just going to break it down and make it small and understandable and go bit by bit um, walk this road together. So I have a nickname for you, Rachel. I'll call you Remix Rachel. Remix <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. You have your own stuff that you come up with, but then when you learn someone else's and you're like, I got to I gotta remix that and make it a little bit more uh, digestible for other people. So. Yeah, well, it's true though. I'm not a great, I don't know that I'm a great detailed note taker. I try to listen to and process something, but then think, you know, how much do we walk away from full sessions with like pages and pages of notes, even when we go to professional development, you're usually looking for what am I going to walk away with and use, right? And those are those like nuggets that I try to grab or sometimes somebody will say something, I'll write it down and come back to it later and think, I think other people could benefit from that, you know, and I'm not trying to um, keep that private knowledge to myself. I'm trying to share it out. So that's great. Well, and I, I always hate making a resource thinking it's only going to be used once anyway, you know, I mean, yeah. why not repurpose these things? You know, uh, you know, Chris, you've done a lot of the same with writing books and these things. And I mean, that's great to share out. Rachel, you produce a lot of materials. I might actually be the least material friendly person here. I just realized that I'm giving advice. Uh oh, <laughs> I better make some stuff. <laughs> and I think the other thing about putting yourself out there is, you know, I'm, I'm more of a cautious person, maybe a little bit anxious, but once you start putting yourself out out there, you know, you might have 99 people who love it, but you can have somebody who's like, that's bad. That's terrible. Here's my reference of why that's wrong. And that's probably the number one thing that happened to me taking a consultancy role is I got a lot thicker skin so that I wasn't so easily deflated by, you know, 
a bad comment or a, you know, a criticism, that's okay. I mean, we don't all have to think the same. It's a, even in our field of AAC, it's a broad field with a lot of different perspectives. I'm just going to take in the ideas that I hear that are meaningful and I think quality and share them back, but I'm not forcing anybody to believe them. So. Oh. Great. I remember my heart pounding so hard the first time that I ever gave a presentation or something like that. I mean, really, I can like, I remember this specifically. And, um, and, and I, and now I, it really doesn't like, I, I really don't like, and, and I don't mean this as like a, just like a platitude, but I, I actually really do enjoy the critical feedback because it makes me then think about how to improve right for next time. You know, I, I gave a talk yesterday to, at, you know, this AC in the cloud and it went very badly. Honestly, we had huge <laughs> technical problems and uh, you know what it's going to make me do is uh, figure out how to do that better next time. So <laughs> yeah, hopefully it was yeah. useful. If anyone's listening, watch that. Sorry. I think you're being a little hard <laughs> on yourself. I, I saw your session, thought it went just great, but. Oh, good. Nobody See, that's actually who- why I said all that. I just wanted the praise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nobody who works in AAC is perfect. We're, I mean, and, and it continues to evolve and move. And as the technology changes and as more research comes out, so you can't know it all, but you help, can still go out there and leave with the idea that you can learn more. If we waited for the perfect time to start, we'd never start, right? So just yeah. do it. I want to ask you, since we're talking about the sort of step-by-step uh, piece, you know, in terms of taking away one nugget, I think we've, we've given a few of them, but I also wanted to ask you about the, the core word a day calendar piece that you've done, because I really enjoyed that research. I think we all did. Yeah. So that, again, that was Remix, Rachel. That was not a project I created. That was um, reaching out to Carol Gary to say, hey, you've put together these amazing resources. Um if there's something I can do to help, I like making graphics and things, you know, and having that kind of conversation, knowing my strength is not in, um, especially at that time, dictating to people which words we were going to focus on per month, but it was in making it accessible and that um, I can do board maker and things like that in my sleep that I've just done it so much. So um, they had already established a year of core as a project on the website. And then another year of core where each month they identified, I believe 12 words. So it was hundred. 144 words the first year and again the second year. Um, And so the lists already existed and there was already some materials made, but they were cycling through them again. And then coming through those word lists again, they were looking for ideas to say, can you think of other ways we can encourage um, people, families, teachers to access and use these words and not be intimidated to just look at a word list and say, that's a lot of words. So I did, I just sat in front of a calendar and I love books and literacy. I come from a pretty rich literacy background in my family of teachers and educators and research folks and reading. And so um, always trying to weave books and texts that are core rich. And I mean, shoot, any book is core rich for, for young kids, but just encouraging simple ideas to say, you could go to the library and check out these four books and talk through these core words on one day a week. And just giving just general ideas, um, examples, really, it's not really prescriptive, right? But just, um, just generating ideas on other ways to embed core throughout your daily activities. So that's the project core calendars, which I did for, I think 24 months, um, usually at about 10 o'clock at night (laughs) until, um, we made it through the two years of core. And, um, I've been in some conversation to, to do something else, but I'm not sure what that would look like quite yet. If you have an idea you want to kick my way, sometimes all the hats I wear just get to be a little much and that, that creative hat kind of, went to the side on the calendars for a bit. So 
How do people access those if they are, people are hearing about those for the first time? Right? Yeah, sure. where can we find you? Yep, those are all hosted through the Practical AAC website. Each month, a few days before the first of the month, Carol's and Gary creates a brand new post to say these are resources for July. I think she already shared out a July post because it's just around the corner here. And she has some new things that she has made or people have contributed, but I believe the links to that are included month by month, or you could just go to the Practical AAC website um, and search under uh, a year of core words or core word calendars and they pop right up. Well, how do people find you? Yeah, I'm on Facebook mostly. Um, I have a page there, Rachel Langley, AAC specialist, and I try to share all my work there too as well. That's my primary kind of sharing spot. I dabble in Twitter. I have tried a little Instagram. I just, I can't do too many things. I have three little kids and a puppy right now. <laughs> so I, I did one thing and, and go with it. But um, so it's mostly, mostly there through that Facebook page. Great. I think I've seen you in Facebook groups too, right? I mean, you frequent other Facebook. Is there Facebook groups that you kind of, um, you know, pop into? Yeah, they're probably too many <laughs> groups I belong to. You know, it's it's part of keeping keeping the pulse on that conversation to know kind of where trends in the field are going or when um, releases or updates of things are happening. Um, I learn a lot from Facebook groups. I think their power is in in that resource sharing, like we've talked about. I try to caution folks that um, there are a couple groups that kind of it feels like if I, if I were a, an SLP that just had a traditional language or tick caseload and I had that one AAC kid, I'm going to come to this group and I'm going to write a case study for these people and say, I have this kid, this is what they look like, this is what they sound like, what should I give them? And that is not to me the ideal way to be using a social media group. It's kind of like uh, the WebMD for my, you know, I have gangrene and I'm going to go online and check it out or whatever. I'm going to, um, but we really, it's good for resources. Um, but sometimes I feel like conversations get a little bit too prescriptive where of course we can't diagnose and support just from a, a social, social media post, but, but I try to be helpful when I can. Um, I try to share resources when I can. I don't think we can really solve a lot of individual, real specific problems that way. But I mean, even in just hearing some of our kids are really, really have very specific needs. And if I have a student with, um, a diagnosis of CVI and motor complexity, it's going to be a little more difficult to find resources for that. So, um, to meet their needs. So that might be a place where you, you go to a group and say, what do I do for this? Um, where do I go? What kind of webinar, what specialist or what book, what do I need to learn to be better at at this. Great. I, I hope everyone has listened all the way through because I think that's a really good message is how to, how to use this effectively and like, you know, how to, how to seek resources and not seek diagnosis. You know, that's fantastic. Uh, Rachel, I'm, I'm really thankful that you, you joined us today. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, again, we're joined by, by Rachel Langley, Midwest Rachel, as, as we will. Um, you, you can find her easily on Facebook. And of course, she's made a, a ton of materials for practical AAC. Um, all of us, uh, Chris accepted because he was going to a big conference, also did AAC in the cloud yesterday. So you can, you can check that out. Don't watch mine. And uh, once again, thanks so much. I'm just, I'm so glad to be here. So this has been Lucas Stuber joined by Rachel Madel, Chris Begay, and Rachel Langley. Uh, make sure if you enjoy the show to check us out on iTunes, leave us a review that helps other people to find us, which is the whole point. And also check out Talking With Tech on Facebook. We'd love to field your questions there. Um, feel free to post anything. We'll be happy to pass it along to Rachel as well. So once again, for Talking With Tech, this is Lucas Stuber. Talk to you all next week. <laughs>